Good morning again, church. Thank you so much for gathering here this morning. Happy New Year to you, whether you're here in person. Uh, so again, thanks for bringing the church into this space. Or if you're gathering with us online, uh, thank you for bringing the church into your living room, around your dining room table, wherever you happen to be. And again, uh, welcome to Crosspoint Jupiter. So glad you guys are joining us. And so this morning, uh, we want to do a couple of things. Uh, we want to start off the new year as we've been doing. We've been worshiping Jesus. Uh, that's what we're here to do. The ultimate goal in life is to give glory to God. And as we do that, that's actually where we find joy. It's not about what's happening circumstantially, but are we focused on him? And so I thought of this for the start of the, the new year. We're just doing a, a one week, just sort of look back and, and look ahead. We wanna reflect on some of the things that even were in the video just a moment ago that we might look back and sort of reflect and think, Lord, what have you been teaching me? But then also to look ahead and we will be starting a brand new sermon series next week. We're gonna spend four weeks talking about Part of our mission to experience belonging, what it looks like to be the church and to love one another is we look at all the one another statements found throughout the scriptures and there's tons of them. So we thought it'd be really helpful to focus. And so this week really is just sort of looking back, but then also sort of catapulting us, sort of flinging us into that series that will begin next week. But I wanna put a question before you as we get going uh, th this morning, all right? And as we think through, as we'll talk this morning in this sort of dear 2020, all right? Um, what if we could go back? Now, we could go Marty McFly, right? Sort of uh, back to the future. We hop in the DeLorean. We go back. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a good movie. You should still go see it, even though it's really, really old, all right? Um, what if we could hop back? What if we could get in that and we could travel back in time to the first Sunday of January of 2020? Now, right now, I realize whether you're here in person or online, maybe I've just induced panic and you're just like, dude, we turn the calendar, it's new year, it's 2021, like let's forget about that. But what if we could go back? And one of the things I've been reflecting on is what if we could go back to that first Sunday of the new year knowing what we know now and if we could spend some time saying, hey, we need to get prepared. There is something that's coming. There, we're not gonna know all the details, but there is gonna be massive shifts. There's gonna be things that are gonna be very unstable at times. What would we want to focus on? What would we go to the scriptures? What maybe specifically would we go and look at? And what I wanna do this morning is look at a particular passage. We could look at numerous ones, but one in particular that I think helps us, because here's the reality. And Pastor Eric spoke of this even in our call to worship this morning, that we don't know what 2021 holds. And the reality is we look back and if we could sort of, you know, uh, you kind of just go with me with this like, hey, what if we could travel back and sort of engage that imagination for a moment? The things that we would have said, if we, if we could peer into the future, hey, make sure you're prepared for this, that holds true, not just for 2020, but for 2021 and beyond. And so what if we could go back? And so let's explore that this morning by looking at Philippians chapter four. We're gonna look at the first seven verses. I'll go ahead and read this in a moment. So if you brought a Bible, please turn there. And if you didn't, as always, you can go to cpwp.life, get your phone out, go there, swipe over to the second card that says message notes and you'll find the text there. And so this passage, as I was thinking about, what would we say if it was the start of 2020? Like even just pastorally, if I was up here to like, hey, we gotta get ourselves ready, like what would be something to focus on? Philippians chapter four. And so let's look at this text together this morning. Philippians chapter four, I'll read verses one through seven. It says this. Therefore, my brothers, and the language there is my brothers and my sisters, 
whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Verse two, I entreat Aodia and I entreat Sincte to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers and whose names are in the book of life. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that you've given to us. I pray that it would instruct us, that it would encourage us, that it would challenge us, that it would give us a bigger view and picture of who you are, the wonder that is the gospel message. And I pray, God, that you would form us as your people more and more, even through this time we have together this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the first things we would see in this, if we were preparing for what was 2020, is the Apostle Paul wants them to know, hey, you have been formed into a community. You are people. In fact, if you, you're the people of God. In fact, if you read the end of chapter three, Paul would have just laid out for this group, this Philippian church, he would have laid out for them, hey, I need you to know this. The language he uses at the end of chapter three is you are citizens, not just of this world, but you are citizens of God's kingdom, which means you live under the rule and reign of Jesus. You're called to live in a whole new way. And that reality should inform how you live as citizens in this time and in this place. And so the very first verse, I think we just need to start there and say, hey, let's realize we are a community. We're the people of God. We're the church. Let's not overlook that. Let's not dismiss that. I think one of the things that 2020 taught us is how valuable connection is with one another. Like when we were, when it was taken away, we long for, we suddenly realize, oh, this is important. So Paul's saying, you're my brothers, my sisters. I mean, look at the, the language that he's using, whom I love and long for. And so if we were starting out January of 2020, it would have been helpful to just say, hey, don't disregard God's people, the church, with all of our frailties and mess ups and sin and brokenness and imperfections and all of it. Just, no, long to be part of this. You're, you've been made citizens of God's kingdom. So that's how he starts out. And then he says these words. So therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, he says, stand firm. Because the apostle Paul is writing, and we'll look at his context in a, in a little bit greater detail in a few moments. The apostle Paul just knows the reality. He knows his life, he knows the world, and he's like, there are going to be storms, there are going to be difficulties, there's gonna be things that are unexpected. And so he's telling them, I need you to stand firm. The language here is to find stability, to be anchored. So maybe think about it this way. You're out at sea, you're on a boat, maybe the waves start to go and you kind of, you're trying to find your equilibrium, right? Like you're trying to find your balance. It's a little hard to walk at times. Like you need to stand firm. Now, most of us as last year started though, we hear that and we think, oh yeah, I'm on a boat and here's how we pictured it. We're like, yep, we're cruising. We got our goals, we've got our objectives. 
it's clear skies, it's, it's the open sea, and we are on our way. And then 2020 really happened, and it turned out more like this, right? And suddenly we're like, what in the world do we do? What happened to the calm and the serene and our plans and all of that? And so if we were to be able to go back, it would be so helpful to say, don't give up on the church. Realize that God has given you a community, your citizens together. And together there's this call to stand firm because life is gonna do its best to knock you down. And so there's this invitation, will we be anchored in Christ? And so Paul says this, stand firm thus, notice the language, in the Lord. Like there's this warning. Maybe not a warning so much as just an invitation to know, hey, the only way you're gonna stand firm, the only way you're gonna have stability, the only way you're gonna be anchored is if you're in the Lord. And once you realize that you're in the Lord, that you are in Christ, it brings stability. It doesn't matter what's swirling around. You, like you are anchored. It's not about circumstances, not about whether your plans happened or didn't or any of those things or how well you adapted or adjusted or any of that. Your stability is in the Lord. If you are in the Lord, you've got nothing to prove. You belong. You are God's child. And when that grips your heart, you literally are untouchable. Not because you're awesome and amazing, but because you know the Lord is awesome. The Lord is amazing. The Lord sees his promises. He sees us as his people and the promises that he's made to us. And so I wanna explore then in these remaining verses, what does it look like then for us to stand firm in the Lord? Because it's not about standing firm in our own strength, it's about standing firm in the Lord. And so again, if we were thinking about, man, it would've been so helpful to just know if this was coming, we gotta stand firm and we're gonna need one another to do this. What else then, what does that actually look like? And so Paul lays out for us in verses two to six, Several things I would just say are this, this calling for us as God's people. And so let's just work through these things. There, there are four things, there's probably more, but there's four at least that sort of just jump out of the, the text. And the very first one that he says is he's calling us to agree. Now hear this in verses two to three. Isn't it fascinating? I entreat Eodia and I entreat Sinke, uh, if that's how you say it, to agree in the Lord. So apparently these two women are having some level of disagreement. They are fellow co-laborers in the gospel and yet something has driven a wedge between them. There's some disruption to the relationship. Something is fractured, something is splintered and there's something where they knew who they are, that they're citizens, they're same family, same kingdom, all of that and yet they'd lost sight of it. Even tells us, hey, remember, your names are written in the exact same book of life. You belong to the one God and Savior. You belong to Jesus Christ. And yet, there's disagreement. Wouldn't this have been helpful, though, to realize at the beginning of 2020 if somebody said, hey, there's gonna be massive disagreement in, in ways about even just pieces of cloth over your face, right? You would've been like, wait, what? Right, like, we had no idea what was coming for us. And it has created disruption, it has created division. And what we would do well to pay attention to is this call to say, hey, let's agree in the Lord. It doesn't mean uniformity, it's a call to unity. That if we're gonna be the people of God, if we're gonna be citizens of God's kingdom, living under Jesus' rule and reign, we've gotta major on the things that are major and realize we're gonna disagree about a lot of things. 
And so Paul says, hey, I need them to make up. I need them to put on display the power of the gospel because Jesus himself has made us as enemies. He's made us friends. And if God can do that to us, we certainly can figure out what is going on as complex as it might be. And I love the honesty of the Bible. If you ever get this notion, like, oh, if we could just go back to the early church. Well, here's apparently what happened in the early church, all right? Like, if you had had a little fight this week with one of your friends, apparently the Apostle Paul felt it was okay to just be like, hey, entire church, get this. These two women in the church or these two dudes in the church or whatever, they're fighting, they're not getting along. You guys need to fix it. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it at all. He's just like, tell them to agree in the Lord. Imagine them, Yodia and Sinkta, they're probably like, dang, we just got called out in front of everybody. And it's not because Paul's trying to shame them. It's because Paul knows our, our opportunity as the church to put on display a unity and a love. This is what Jesus prayed for in John 17 as he's getting ready to depart. He's praying that there would be a unified witness. Alec Motier in his commentary on Philippians said this, the church on earth is called to be a replica of the ideal or the heavenly. This is involved in the possession of heavenly citizenship to live here and now in the privilege and duties of the far off homeland. Thus it is against the nature of the church, the community of the redeemed, to confess unity in heaven and to practice disunity on earth. What if we had been an agreeable people? I don't mean just going along with everything, but what if we committed to doing the hard work of battling and of fighting for unity? We're in the Lord. We're citizens of heaven. We might disagree politically. We might disagree about how to handle this pandemic. We might disagree about all number of things, about how to bring justice, all of that. But what if we loved one another and we cared for one another and we put on display, hey, we might have differing opinions, but we're not gonna let that fracture us and pull us apart. So Paul says, there's a call to agree. And then Paul says this in verse four, and he says it twice. So if he's letting us know twice, it's like, hey, we need to pay attention. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then Paul immediately, like, in case you already forgot, again, I will say rejoice. Now, if you think, oh, that's easy for Paul to say, all right, you know, Jesus came down and met him on the road to Damascus, and he's doing all these amazing things. Let's not forget the hardships, the difficulties, the times that he's been left for dead, the times that he's been in prison, the times that he's been abandoned. Let's not forget the fact that as he writes this right now, as he's writing this letter, Paul is in prison. In fact, early on in the letter, we get these words. Paul says this in Philippians chapter one, verses 12 to 13. He says, hey, though, this is his posture of rejoicing. Even though he's in prison, he's literally in chains at this point. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul has this perspective and our encouragement for us would be like, hey, whatever you're enduring, whatever's going to happen. So if we were back in the beginning of 2020, say, hey, whatever's gonna happen, there's gonna be suffering, there's gonna be things that are very destabilizing, but if we can recognize that we're in the Lord, if we can agree with one another, and then there's this call to rejoice regardless of circumstances, because everything that is happening is part of, it's God's plan and God's will, and God is going to use it to advance the gospel. And Paul's opened himself up to this. And so he's not, 
He's not finding his joy or his rejoicing or his happiness based on like, well, am I in shackles today or am I not? Because if I got out of prison, then I feel really good and I can worship. No, at this point, he's rejoicing because the gospel is going forward and he's able to bear witness to it. In fact, scholars believe when he references the Imperial Guard, all right, we hear that, we're like, what does that mean? This, think of this, think of this as the Navy SEALs of the Roman Empire, all right? These were, this was the best of the best, these were the baddest dudes around, right? And literally, there are about 9,000 of them in the empire, and one of their assignments sometimes were to see that particular prisoners didn't escape, and so the guys with the most training, the most strength, the most power, the most combat skills, everything, would literally go through different shifts where they would be chained. They would literally chain themselves to a particular prisoner. This is most likely what Paul is having happen to him, that he's chained to like a Navy SEAL equivalent, and he's talking about, Guys, you'll never believe this. This is amazing. I'm rejoicing. Because guess what? I just got to share the gospel with this guy, and then his shift was over, and they brought in another guy. They chained me to him. Now I've got a captive audience, and so I told him about Jesus. And then I got another guy that was chained to me, and you wonder, who's really the captive here? Paul is seizing upon every opportunity to see the gospel advance. What if we embrace that? Not a rejoicing that we skip through life and we don't acknowledge pain, God is near the brokenhearted. There's a call for us to weep with those who weep. There's a lot of weeping in 2020. If this was the beginning of 2020, that would have been one of the things, hey, prepare yourself. What can you do to get emotionally healthy? Because it is going to expose a lot. But even in that, there's a call to rejoice. And then the Apostle Paul says this, he says, be reasonable, or another translation I'm using here says, to be gentle. He says, let your reasonableness or your gentleness or your graciousness be known to everyone. And then he says, the Lord is at hand. And that can mean a couple of things. The Lord is at hand, meaning he's gonna come back and he's gonna set everything right. And that certainly is true, it's sort of in a temporal sense. But there's a spatial sense to this as well. Meaning, the Lord is near that he is close, that he sees you, and that the Lord is gentle with you, that he is tender with you. And because the Lord has been that way to you, you now in turn have the resources through the power of the Holy Spirit to be gentle. But I think we've gotta be honest in this past year as well, right? Was there a tenderness and a gentleness about all of our interactions? And I'm sure you can think of people, they're like, oh yeah, they weren't tender, they weren't gentle. Forget about them for a moment. Like, how were you? How, how was I? And I wish I could have said, well, yeah, maybe it wasn't so gentle during 2020, but 2021, man, you know, we're three days in, I'm like this gentleness thing, I got it down. No, I already blew that this morning. So what are we to do here? Well, we see we need to see the disposition of Jesus. It's fascinating. I've been reading through a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I'll quote, put a quote up here from him in just a moment. I would really commend it to you. And it's fascinating of all the things about Jesus that we know and we study and we look at, like, how did Jesus talk about himself? Like, he would have been the one to give the best description of like, hey, well, who is Jesus? And he could have picked any number of adjectives and descriptors and, and all of that. And the thing that he chooses to say, we find in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, 
for what? Look how he describes himself. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm humble, I'm a servant. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in this call to be gentle, there's both an invitation. You're gonna need the gentleness of Jesus. You're gonna need the tenderness of Jesus. You're gonna need the care of the good shepherd. And he stands ready to give it. All of the time, in every circumstance, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. He sees everything that you've gone through. He sees everything that you're going to go through the things that are gonna be unexpected, the things that you don't even know how to emotionally process or even give language to, but you're just like, ah, like I feel off. He's in that space as well. Dane Ortland in that book, Gentle and Lowly, says this, Jesus, he's not trigger happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. Now, I could put my name in there and say, yeah, Jamie's trigger happy. He's harsh, reactionary, and easily exasperated, right? Um, but Jesus is not. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Now, if that's our savior, and if that's the God that Paul knew, no, ma- no wonder he could rejoice. Because Paul was an enemy of the church. He was an enemy of Jesus. Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus, said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's like, wait, wait, who, who are you? But it's because Jesus so identifies himself with his people, the church, to be in the Lord, to have that union with him. When Paul was doing things to and against the church, it was as if he was doing it to Jesus himself. And yet Jesus doesn't point a finger and condemn him. Jesus welcomes him with open arms and says, I'm gonna use you, I'm gonna use your brokenness, I'm gonna use your story to bear witness to the reality of who I am and how I bring remarkable transformation. And that story has played out for thousands of years. If you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus, though the circumstances, the details might be slightly different, that at a basic fundamental level is your story that God has rescued you. You were an enemy of God. You were dead in your sin. I was dead in my sin. I wanted nothing to do with God. I was his enemy. I committed treason against the king because I was like, I want to do what I want to do. And God, in his grace, didn't just point a finger at me, but instead opened his arms to me. He opened his arms so wide to me that they were nailed to a Roman cross. That's the God that we serve and that we worship. And so this call here where Paul says, be reasonable, it's this call to like, be patient, be tender, be gentle, be gracious. And so if we were thinking like, man, what would have been a good word as we went into 2020? It would have been like, hey, can we stop? Let's, let's pay attention, let's make sure we're mindful of all the ways we wanna use our words to point a finger, all the ways we wanna use social media to point a finger, all the ways we wanna gossip and slander and accuse and, and divide things further into kind of like what's well, us and them and all of that. What if we as the church said, you know what? The Lord has been so gracious and he's been so incredibly kind and he has pursued me when I didn't deserve it at all. What if rather than pointing our finger out at the culture or the different groups, the people that you might happen to disagree with, what if instead we opened our arms and we welcomed them in as Jesus has welcomed them in? And if you're like, well, what about the truth? Yeah, yeah, truth and grace, all of it, yes. It's all part of opening up our arms to people. And then Paul says this, 
If there had been one word of advice, one bit of counsel, maybe this is just the best summation of it. Like if we're looking ahead, we don't know what's gonna come, all right? And what was true of 2020 is true right now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what's gonna come. We don't know what is going to transpire. And so Paul gives this invitation. It's a calling not to heap something on the people to say, hey, you better do this. If you're gonna be a good Christian, you need to do this. But rather to say, the God of the universe, he actually cares about you. He wants to hear from you. He is waiting for you to engage in a conversation. The way we talk about that in church language, right, is like he's inviting you to pray. And so Paul says these words in verse six. He says, so do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. And what that literally means is everything. All right, so in anything that you're enduring, anything that is happening, anything that is on your mind that kept you up at night, anything that concerns you, anything that you're facing, any anxiety, fear, excitement even, whatever it happens to be, your passions, your skills, all of that, in everything, go to the Lord in prayer. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, meaning like it's okay to ask, and ask with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Imagine, and I'm not saying we didn't do this, so don't hear this as like, man, we didn't do any of these things in 2020. No, I'm just saying like, just if we, you know, kind of engage that imagination and think, oh, if we could go back, what would we tell ourselves to do differently? I would tell myself, pay more attention to this verse. Have your first response be prayer, not just the panic response. Cultivate prayer and connection. We got that time, right, where it's like, hey, you're gonna have some uninterrupted time. You're gonna, your schedule is gonna kind of come to a screeching halt. And all those times where you're like, I'm so busy, I'm so overwhelmed, if I could just get a break. And then suddenly the Lord, through very weird circumstances, says, here you go. And we're like, cool, I can binge more shows, right? I'm not knocking it, I did it too, but I wish I could go back and say, hey, enjoy the show, do that, some amazing things. But what if our first response was, I'm gonna pray. I get to connect with the God of the universe. And so he says, do not be anxious about anything. That's a hard word. But when we understand the gentleness of our God, the pursuit of our God, the God that would send us his son Jesus, who is gentle and lowly, who walks alongside you, who is near, who loves you, who pursues you, who is the one that tells us to have joy, to rejoice, and his joy was found in going to a Roman cross so that he could get us into the family for the joy that was set before him, he endured that. When you see that, when you understand that, when you realize you're in the Lord and it grips your heart, suddenly the anxiety begins to melt away. And it's gonna always be part of this world. Like if you're like, my goal, 2021, no more anxiousness, like, okay. Let me know how that goes. I, like, the reality is we still live in a broken and fallen world. But there's this call. Are you gonna focus on the things that are bringing anxiety? Or are you gonna actually connect with the Lord in prayer? Some, I read a quote. I'm trying to remember who it was actually from in preparation for this. I don't remember at the moment, but he was basically speaking to you. It, you don't ever find the person who has an amazing prayer life that's also super anxious, right? Like, the, the reality is like, hey, the more you engage in prayer, like some of that anxiousness will begin to dissipate. 
This is what Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter six. Perhaps you remember these words. Jesus is talking to the crowds. He's talking to his disciples. And he says the same things here. In fact, Paul really is borrowing Jesus' words. In Matthew six, beginning in verse 25, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If we could go back, if I could go back, I would say, hey, there's no need to be anxious. You're not gonna add a single hour to your life by being more anxious. You're probably gonna actually take away some hours of your life, you're gonna die an early death, right? Like just remember who Jesus is. If he takes care of the birds of the air, he's not knocking birds, he created them, but he's saying they're not the Imago Dei. They're not made in the image and likeness of God. They are not called to subdue the earth and to rule and reign with God, our king. They're birds. And he takes care of them. How much more does he care about you and the details of your life? And when we pray, it's an opportunity to enter into the presence of God, to participate in the means by which God has ordained for these, his care and provision to actually happen. So please don't go this path that says, well, I'm, I'm reformed in my thinking and therefore I don't pray because whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. God's sovereign. Yeah, he's so sovereign. Guess what? He ordained the means by which all of his will will come to pass and he ordained the means to be prayer. And so he's inviting us to pray. I love this quote. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this. He talked about his favorite preacher. His favorite preacher was a bird, apparently. All right, here's the, this quote. He says this. He says, I have one preacher that I love better than any other. It is my little tame robin who preaches to me daily. I put his crumbs upon my windowsill, especially at night, and he hops onto the sill when he wants his supply, and he takes as much as he desires to satisfy his need, and then from there, he always hops to a little tree close by, and he lifts up his voice to God, and he sings his carol of praise and gratitude, and he tucks his little head under his wings, and he goes fast asleep to leave tomorrow to look after itself. He is the best preacher I have on earth. It's Matthew 6. It's realizing that there's this call to just to have gratitude, make your prayer, make your supplication, make your request with thanksgiving. And so if I could go back, I would tell myself, pray and also stop and celebrate along the way God's provision, his grace, the way that he has taken care of us, even if it's in ways that were unexpected and different and not how we had originally planned, that he cares deeply for us. So as we think about what's the implication for now, will you let your requests be known? And there's some, it'll feel risky, it'll feel like some vulnerability, maybe you're like, I just like to keep this to myself, I like to strategize, I like to plan, I don't know if I can trust God. He's your heavenly father and he cares deeply for you. And he's saying, come on, let's have a conversation. Bring these things to me, watch me work. 
This is what the Apostle Paul enjoyed in his relationship with the Lord, to see God's provision. It doesn't mean that things didn't go terribly. Remember, the dude's in prison, chained to another guy right now, right? Just like wondering, am I ever gonna get out alive? And yet he's rejoicing. And all of this leads to verse seven. So yes, there's this call, but I think what Paul is doing here is kind of, if we look at verse one again and then verse seven, it's sort of these bookends and it's the gospel. It's reminding us you're in the Lord. So stand firm, but not in your own strength. Stand firm in the Lord that you have been united with Christ. And he ends by speaking of the comfort, or maybe we could say the confidence that we have about how the Lord guards us, the Lord protects us. So if I could go back, I would want to remind myself, hey, there's going to be crazy things that are going to happen, but have this confidence the Lord is near and the Lord guards you and the Lord brings peace. Look with me at verse, verse 7. It says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So apparently there's this peace that literally, we're not gonna be able to wrap our mind around. It's gonna blow our minds. It's gonna be so unbelievable that we won't be able to explain it. We won't be able to fully articulate it. And it's gonna speak to us at the deepest levels. It's gonna speak to the totality of our beings, our mind, our hearts, our emotions, all of it. There's gonna be this peace, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And look at that word will guard your hearts and your minds. That apparently the God of the universe is fixated on guarding you. He looks at you. If you got kids the same way as a, as a parent, right? You're like, oh my goodness, like I, I, I'm looking after this child, I'm guarding this child, the way that you might care for a niece or nephew or a, any other person even, right? Like you're just, You want to guard them, you want to protect them, you want to care for them. The Lord is like, I've got you, I'm guarding you. What if I had that picture? I would have liked to have reminded myself, hey, when all else fails, when you're losing, you know, when you're kind of losing sight of the big picture, remember the intentionality of your God. There's this great story in the Old Testament about this man named Elisha. And the Syrian army, all right, is literally coming against him. So he's one dude and he's got what's called like his, his helper, his assistant, all right? And the Syrian army is bearing down on him and is gathered outside of where Elisha happens to be. And his understudy, his assistant, the, this younger person is understandably freaked out and is looking at Elisha like, dude, do you see what's happening here? All right, and here's the account that we get in 2 Kings chapter six. It says this, when the servant of the man of God, that's referring to Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. All right, so panic inducing, right? Like you get up, you're gonna have your morning coffee, you look out the front window and suddenly like there's just this entire army that's out there. So he says this, here's how it goes. And the servant said, alas, my master, Alas, probably wouldn't have been my first word. But anyway, he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and he said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I would have liked to have gone back and said, hey, make sure you're aware. Make sure you ask. Maybe pray that your eyes would be open, that you'd be enlightened to the reality that these words in Philippians 4 verse 7 are true, that God is guarding you in a way that is equal to and yet even better than what Elisha experienced. I mean, how amazing. He, he could see this other reality. He could see beyond, like the veil was pulled back and he could see, yeah, 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 there's the army of man, there's the Syrian army, yeah, yeah, they, they've got some strength and they've got some power, but I see the army of the Lord surrounding me. I see God's protection, his provision, he's got this. Like I sleep like a baby at night because I understand who is fighting for me, who is with me, who is guarding me, who is protecting me. And what was true of Elisha, get this, is more true of you and me if you are in the Lord. The reason you and I can stand firm in the Lord to have this peace that sort of blows our mind is because the God of the universe, that Jesus himself is guarding you, that he's protecting you. And it's not just when you do the right thing, it's when you mess up, when you fail, when you are not agreeable when you are not kind and generous, when you are not joyful, when I am none of those things. Time and time again, we have to know this, that Jesus, in those moments, he's guarding us, protecting for us, defending us, advocating for us. This is why John would write in 1 John 2, 1, 2, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then he says, but if anyone does sin, to which everybody there would have been, yep, that's me. We have an advocate with the Father. I mean, Jesus is defending you. He's pleading your case. Not on your merits. Not because you've got good plans and goals for 2021 to improve yourself. No, no. He's pleading before the Father. I was perfect, I was sinless, I did everything, and I gave them my righteousness. I died in their place, and so now when you see them, you have to see them as spotless and as perfect. He is our advocate, so this is why he says, he's our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, meaning propitiation, that he would take the wrath of God that he would absorb the wrath of God. This is what's happening on the cross, a wrath that should have been poured out on you and on me and instead was poured out on Jesus. And in turn, we got the favor of God. We got the righteous standing that Jesus earned for us. And he says, and this is available, anybody can get in on this. So church, I want you to hear this. Whether you're here and you don't know if you believe any of this or not, you can get in on this. It doesn't matter what you've done. But I also want you to be encouraged in this. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Lord, think about this, he has given you relationships, you have uni you've been uniquely placed in your neighborhood, at your school, on a sports team, at your college, whatever it happens to be, at your workplace, he has uniquely positioned you, placed you there with a network, with a web of relationships to bear witness the reality of Jesus, to showcase what it looks like to stand firm in the Lord, to point people to the reality. As so if I could go back, I would wanna camp out in this. And as I think about this upcoming year, this is where I wanna camp out. I wanna be 
standing firm knowing that I am in the Lord. I pray for you that you will stand firm knowing that you are in the Lord. If you're not in the Lord right now, I pray that you would be brought into the family, that you would trust him, that you would submit to him. I pray that those of us that are here this morning that are in the Lord, that we would see friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors come to be in the Lord and that they too could stand firm and then be made into the kinds of people that are agreeable, that are unified, that are joyful, that are gentle, that are peaceful. Because this is the reality. Jesus is the one that makes us all those things. If it was up to me to be agreeable, and joyful, and gentle, and peaceful, I have already failed. If those were my New Year's resolutions in 2021, they are already out the window. But because of Jesus, who embodied all of those things perfectly, and we get his righteousness, we can begin to lean into those, we can begin to experience those, when we embrace this call that we are in the Lord, it brings us stability. So let me pray for us. After I pray, the worship team, they're gonna come back up and lead us in a song of response. And while that is going on, I wanna encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're here in person, to come up and grab the communion elements and bring them back to your seat, and we'll partake together after the song is over. If you're participating with us online, we'd invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to go Get the elements there. And you too will be invited to this table, to the Lord's Supper. And we do this in response, knowing that we have been welcome. This meal is even given as a means of God's grace to help us stand firm, to know that we have been rescued, that we have been redeemed. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your exceeding kindness, your mercy, your grace. And you lavishly pour that out on us. Jesus, we thank you that you are gentle, that you don't point a finger of, being, of condemning us, but rather you were condemned in our place so that we could be welcomed with open arms, that we could be brought into the family. And so God, I pray that in this upcoming year, that you would be at work in and through us, that you would remind us of your promises, that you would remind us of your faithfulness, that you would encourage us to stand firm in the Lord, knowing where our strength comes, that we would be known as a people that are unified and that are joyful, that are gentle, that are peaceful, that we would be a non-anxious presence in a world that is very anxious very confused. I pray that we'd be able to point people to the reality of the hope that we have found. And so God, as we sing now, as we participate in this meal, I pray God that you would get your glory and that we as your people would experience just a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.